Let's see how this, how good this is. There we go. I am just now toasting the foot of a Romeo and Julieta 1875. Did you know that this cigar was Winston Churchill's favorite cigar. I think that back in the day when Romeo and Julieta as a company made cigars for him and for other folks, I think they were a little bit longer than they are now. But the one I have is a, uh, it's about a 52 ring cigar and it is about five inches long. I think Churchill's were uh, about six and a half inches long, maybe seven, hence the name Churchill when it comes to a length of a cigar. I'm just toasting this one, mm-hmm. That's what I'm having today. This is a really pretty cigar. Mm, 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 mm -hmm. Yep, it lights very nicely. It's a beautifully constructed cigar. Romeo and Julieta, of course, is one of those companies that was in Cuba until Fidel Castro started to have his way with, with that country. And they fled as a family and as a company, took their Cuban seed with them and started over. Man, think of the courage that it would have taken to be able to do that. Pretty impressive. So I'm lighting this cigar, as you could hear already, with wooden matches instead of with a torch. That's what the folks who are kind of in the know say you should do with these Romeo and Julieta 1875 cigars. Mm -hmm. Because everyone who enjoys these cigars says that they have a really nice kind of oily undertone of cedar when you smoke them. You can smell the cedar, and I can too. If we light these cigars with uh, with a wooden match, it kind of enhances that that flavor. Beautiful cigar. Like I said, it's uh, it's beautifully constructed. And every one of these that I've had in the past, you just look at it and think that is a perfect cigar. Uh, the wrapping and the size, and they always draw exactly right masterfully constructed is the way one <laughs> review actually described it. It's got an Indonesian wrapper on the outside of it and so it's medium brown, kind of a shiny medium brown wrapper on the outside and has a kind of a hint of a, of a sweet smell to it but it does not really have a, a sweet taste. It's, it's a really balanced, balanced cigar. And as I remember from uh, one of these that I had a few months ago, as we get into this cigar, we'll notice some uh, undertone of coffee flavor, perhaps even a little bit of a vanilla bean or something like that. But, uh, but it's a really, really subtle cigar. But the smell of the cigar is quite good. Again, the smell is, it'll smell like cedar if someone were to step into the studio before I completely <laughs> filled it up with smoke. They're going to be saying, oh, that smells like cedar. So this is about a, maybe, uh, the way I smoke cigars, about a 30 or maybe 35-minute cigar, so I should probably get to it, shouldn't I? <laughs> I don't want these podcasts to be so long that it takes you Joe Rogan length in order to get through them, you know? His his podcasts take me about a week to get through, sometimes two weeks to get through, uh, because I don't have three and a half hours when I'm going to sit down and just listen to one podcast. But you probably don't even have the 28 minutes or 25 minutes that we're going to take in this podcast to spend, so you might chop it up as well. That's okay. That's, that's how it works. That's why I like podcasts so much. You can turn them on, turn them off, turn them on, turn them off, and uh, catch right up. I like that a lot. And, mm-mm, yeah, that's a good cigar. So, wish you were here. I mean it. Every time I say that, I wish you were here. I know who most of you are who are listening to this podcast. Some of you have not yet met, and as, uh, as our listenership grows, I hope that I get to meet a few of you who I don't yet know as we're out and about somewhere, maybe at a conference together or something like that. But uh, if, you were, if you were here, you'd be sitting right over there in one of those little leather cigar chairs. You know how they, they look like a barrel, kind of. They're like a half barrel cut at an angle, wrapped in leather, and they, they swivel a little bit. Well, that's our cigar chairs here in the studio. And there's no 
nobody in them today. I'm here inside the studio by myself. Now, on the outside of the studio, there's some folks gawking through the window, but but I'm the only one right here inside the studio today, enjoying this volumes of cigar smoke. You're thinking, all right, get to it, get to it. It's already been four or five minutes. Get to it. Tell me what you're going to be having with the 1875 Romeo and Julietta. Well, here it is. I just picked up a brand new bottle of, uh, open this up. There we go. Nice little, you can tell it's full, right? (laughs) Because it didn't sound very deep. I am going to pour a little bit of John Fitzgerald's Larceny. This is the small batch, not the barrel proof, but this is the small batch. And it's a 92 proof bourbon, uh, Kentucky straight bourbon, of course. And I'm going to pour a little bit. It sounded like it was a lot more than it really is. <laughs> That's about a shot and a half poured over one beautifully square cubed ice cube, completely clear, not a bubble in it. Get that to cool off a little bit there. Let me give it a let me give it a smell so I can give it my review. It's been a long time since I've had Larceny, maybe a couple of years. Uh, a bottle was given to me by my son-in-law back in the day, at, at least two years ago, and I don't think I've had it since. It was quite it's quite good though. The company has been around since the late 1800s in various forms, but this bourbon, I'm not sure. There is no age statement on this bourbon right here, so I'm not sure how old this one is. Probably five or six years old, something like that. But it is a 92 proof. In the bottle, it looks nice and dark, looks like super dark Earl Grey tea or something like that. But in the glass with one ice cube, it's about half of that uh, hue. And the smell, mm, smell is really, really good. Very, very nice. So I learned a little trick recently. Maybe you know this already because you're probably probably a bourbon aficionado way more than I am. But uh, I learned this from Keith. Uh, so I take my first sip, swirl it around in my mouth a little bit, especially of something like 90 proof or above. And like I said, this is 92. And then let it sit in my mouth and then swallow it and air it out. And then try to smell it and taste it with just the coating in my mouth. And wow, that's quite good. Mm-mm. Very, very good. Well, this is a Heaven Hill product, and their products are always good. But what does it smell like? You're wondering if you're going to sit here and listen to the podcast. You might as well get something out of it here. Well, I pick up, I definitely pick up apricot. Apricot's the first smell that hits. That That's the first smell. And then, mm, I'm not sure what after that. Maybe there might be a little bit of cinnamon in here. It's um, It doesn't smell super sweet. It smells apricot and a little bit of cinnamon. Mmm, so, 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 so good. Mm-hmm. I'll take another sip right here. You're not going to hear me actually doing the sipping. I'll put it up to my mouth. Then we'll edit that out because the noise when people are sipping or chewing or that, ugh, it makes me crazy. So I assume there's one or two of you out there that it makes crazy as well. So we edit that noise out. Oh, there we go. True to form, the second sip of bourbon is the best. Wow, that's really, really good. There we go. Larceny Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey paired together with Winston Churchill's favorite cigar, Romeo and Julieta, 1875. I was curious about how those would go together. And I was curious if with this cigar, the larceny would stand out and taste really, really good. And, well, curiosity paid off. That is really, really good. So are you curious? How curious are you? Specifically, how curious are you about yourself? I have found that all leaders have two things in common. They are relentless, ruthless in their curiosity about how things really, really are. And the second thing they have in common is they have followers. (laughs) One of the reasons why we follow leaders is because we trust in their curiosity. So how curious are you about you? That's what I want to talk about today. (laughs) 
Hi, I'm Dee Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. Ah, clouds of smoke around us. Ah, so good. This is a great cigar. So all effective leaders, whether you have a title of a CEO or a chief or a manager or a supervisor, all effective leaders who have as a responsibility to influence other people, they are curious about how things really are and ruthless in that curiosity, including themselves. And they have followers. (laughs) Because, you know, I've said it before, if you think you're a leader and no one follows you, you're just out for a walk. Oh, anyway, let's have some fun with this today. Because if you're going to be relentless and ruthless in your curiosity, if you want to find out how things really are, then you and I have to be able to look at our own mental models, our own assumptions, at what we have long thought is true, and try relentlessly to move what we've thought is true closer and closer and closer to objective truth, to the way things really are. We want to close the gap between what I imagine and what it actually is is. And we want to do that on a regular basis. One of the places where we don't necessarily do that all that well is with ourselves. How curious are you about how you're doing as a leader? How curious are you about how you impact other people? We've talked at length about that in the past. So let's dive into one very specific slice of curiosity, one specific theme that I have been fascinated by for quite some time, maybe maybe for years. I know that as a leader, it's possible that you get depressed. You probably know by now that as a part of our work in our research firm, which is one of our companies, we regularly do deep dive surveys and interviews and follow-ups of highly effective leaders. And we began to stumble across a subtle theme a few years back, perhaps five or six years back, about discouragement on the part of leaders, discouragement that even led to depression in some cases. So we began to add to our battery of questions as we're tracking the effectiveness of leaders, their habits, their mental models, their disciplines, their values, their worldview, all of that stuff, as well as their external skills and behaviors and competencies. We began to add to that battery of questions, have you felt depressed for more than a few days in the last year? And we've had some fascinating responses to that. So that we followed up with direct in-person questions, not just questions asked in a survey where they would fill it out with their fingers, (laughs) okay? We began to ask, do you ever get depressed? And here are some of their really interesting answers. These are the face-to-face answers. Here they go. They said, well, only if I slow down, ha ha ha, and then they laugh and throw their head back and then look at their watch and run on to something else. Or someone, one leader said, no, but I, I feel sad sometimes. Or I, I noticed I'm a lot more angry and irritated than I used to be. Or I notice my enjoyment has gone down or my sleep habits have changed or I'm kind of foggy in the brain or my appetite has changed. I noticed that I, my energy is kind of weird. It, it comes in spurts and then I get kind of twitchy and I notice that my humor is changed and different and maybe my baseline of humor has gone from something that is inclusive humor to something that is exclusive. And they've started to say, a few of them, that, you know, I, I 
I used to think that the future was good and all we had to do was work hard to create a new future. And now I start wondering, maybe our future is bad. And now our job as leaders is to kind of brace ourselves against that future. But no, I don't get depressed. <laughs> oh, that laughter I just had right there. I'm actually thinking of times where I've asked leaders, do you ever get depressed? And they say no. And then they describe depression and they say, I don't get depressed, but I feel all these things. <laughs> One guy even said to me uh, when I said, do you ever, you ever get depressed? He said, don't you have to have feelings to get depressed? And he stared at me blankly and I wanted to slowly back out of his office. <laughs> oh, another guy said, are you kidding me? I don't have time to get depressed. Ah, oh, so what about you? Do you, uh, do you ever get depressed? You don't even like to use that word. It's like, it's like you've given up even by labeling that word. But in our research, we have, when we ask the question, do you get depressed, gotten very few yes answers. But when we list the symptoms of depression in questions, in person or in surveys, nearly 50% of the leaders that we have worked with over the years, now nearing almost 3,000, have said, yeah, in the last year, I have had those feelings. And those feelings have lasted more than a few weeks. And nearly 30% of those who said, yes, I've had those feelings, those symptoms, if you want to call them that, in the last year, nearly 30% of those have said that they struggled with those feelings as their baseline throughout their entire adult lives. The depressed leader can still be incredibly effective, but the type of depression that they report and that they experience makes everything a little bit harder for them. Every weight is a little heavier, every meeting feels longer, every decision a little bit harder, and maybe only by 5 or 10%, but it's constant and it is a baseline. So are, are you depressed? It's an unspoken condition among many leaders. And I want to speak about those of you who have felt that weight, that sense of depression, but you've not called it that. I understand why. Totally understand why. And it's lasted for more than a few weeks. And a few would be two or three. It's lasted and then it will maybe abate a little bit after two or three weeks. And then it comes back and then it abates a little bit. And so it sets you up that as long as you're super busy or as long as you are going, going, going constantly and you never sit down and think, as long as you get up in the morning and run into the day and then run to the very end of the day and then pound some larceny bourbon <laughs> or something like that to take away those feelings and collapse into bed at night, you're not ever going to actually fully feel those feelings that you've got going on. But how much more effective could you be if you recognized it for what it is? I think I'm a little depressed. And how much more effective could you be if you had a few ways that were very easy to recognize it for what it is in its nascent and early onset stages and combat it in a super healthy and adaptive way? Well, let me share with you some of those things. First of all, let's review. What are the symptoms? And you ask yourself now, honestly, no one else is listening to this podcast. It's just you. You're in your car. You're in your truck. You're, you've got your headphones in. Maybe you're surrounded by people, but no one's talking to you. Maybe you're out hiking. I don't know, something. It's just you. Get really honest and ask yourself, do I feel these things right now? Or have I felt these things for more than a few days, more than a couple of weeks in the last year? Here it is. Your baseline when you're not distracted is sadness. If there's no one around talking to you, there's no big music, there's no larceny bourbon involved, there's no gripping Netflix movie, there's no busy meeting or busy scheduled day, and you just, your baseline, there's no inputs, it's just you, just you. What's your baseline? 
is your baseline sadness. That's the first symptom. The second symptom you might be experiencing is that you find yourself more irritable. Things that didn't used to irritate you now do. And perhaps even your anger is up. You used to be a person who was rarely angry and now you find yourself going from irritation to anger quickly. It'll show up toward the end of the day. It'll show up toward the end of the week. It'll show up when you're in your car. It'll show up when you're around people who you are very comfortable with that they're not going to bolt and run away from you. <laughs> your anger or your irritation is up. The third symptom is along with that your enjoyment is down. You can't thoroughly enjoy anything. The fourth symptom is your sleep habits change. You used to sleep a certain number of hours. Now you sleep a lot more or now you sleep a lot less. Your sleep habits have changed or you wake up many times during the night and that never used to be you. You wake up mostly tired when you first get up in the morning. Another symptom on the list is you kind of have a foggy brain. You have a difficult time concentrating. That didn't used to be a problem of yours. Another symptom is you have an appetite change. Usually our appetite goes down except for carbs. Our carb craving goes up when we are early in the early stages of, of feeling the physiological and psychological onset of leadership depression. Our overall energy level is down. I think of it as twitchy energy. You and I don't have the ability to get out and run a long distance like we used to. Or we find our, our energy level spiking and then disappearing and then spiking and then disappearing. We find that we are kind of twitchy throughout the day, but we don't have much endurance. Another symptom that that I've noticed is in myself when I have gone into one of these seasons is that my humor baseline is gone or it's different. My humor is generally pretty straightforward. It's a little bit sarcastic. It's a little bit fun. I tend to enjoy everything around me in life, but when my humor becomes a bit acerbic and it's pointed at people and it's about putting people down and pushing people away because there's so much fodder for that kind of humor around us. There's so many targets for that kind of humor <laughs> because we're surrounded by people after all. Then I notice my humor baseline is down. And here's the last of those symptoms that I begin to think the future is going to be bad unless I do a whole bunch of stuff to overcome that future. My picture of the future, my ideation of the future is that it's going to be really, really hard and bad unless I work hard to change it. Those are some of the symptoms. So all of this, of course, relates to you if you have had several of those symptoms, if you want to call it that, and they've lasted for a while, more than a couple of weeks. If you're missing, say, three or four or five those symptoms, then you're probably just tired. You're probably just distracted. But if you put a bunch of those together, especially having to do with sadness as your baseline, uh, your appetite and your sleep habits changing, humor changing, and your ideas about the future changing from this is going to be good and fun and awesome to it's going to be really, really hard unless we just claw our way through it and it may not even be worth it. If that's the way you think about the future, then it's highly likely that you're in the early, early stages, a new reset for yourself so you're starting to feel depressed all the time. The new normal for you is eh, kind of depressed and I have to work my way out of it every single day. Well, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. You and I as leaders don't have to live like that. I know we're in a complex world and I know your work is complex and I know you're surrounded by people who care a lot 
and maybe they care about things that are different than what you care about. Maybe there's no alignment in your organization so that everyone's passion is heading in generally the same direction. And I know your work is incredibly important. And so I would like to be able to suggest to you that there are six different things you can do. You can pick a couple of these and they'll be very effective. If you do them all, they'll be wildly effective in rewiring how you think so that you do not make your work harder than it needs to be by allowing yourself to become depressed. And that's an important idea because our depression, especially early on, that that reset of our sadness, that reset of how we appraise the world around us and of ourselves is largely up to us. We can actually change that early on if, if you are curious enough about yourself and understand enough about what's going on. All right, here are the six ways to combat in a leader the early onset of these depressive symptoms. And I'll start with the most powerful one. Number one, change how you imagine the future. Folks who imagine the future pessimistically, they are pessimistic about the future. And they, as a leader like yourself, think, well, if I work really, really hard to change the future and everything goes exactly right, then maybe it won't be quite that bad. That's a pessimistic view of the future. One of the most fascinating discoveries in psychology in the last 10 years, which was actually which was actually espoused by Martin Seligman and his band of thinkers back in the uh, 2013, 2015, something like that, was the idea that pessimistic views about the future actually cause depressive symptoms not the other way around. Many have long thought that if you feel depressed, then you'll start eventually feeling pessimistic about your future. But it's the other way around. If I choose to think about the future in a pessimistic way, like I described a moment ago, that is an early contributor to the onset of depressive symptoms. Seligman calls this prospection. If you look ahead at the future and you think it's going to be bad, it will lead you to being depressed. There's three ways probably of imagining the future that will bring on these early symptoms, that long list that I began to talk about. Think about yourself as I go through these three. They're pretty quick. One of them is the inability to think of more than one possible future. If you find yourself, no, it's just that. That's the only future it's going to be, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be awful. We're all going to die. <laughs> If you can only think of that one difficult future and then you kind of stop and give up and you're not doing the work of thinking of another future, then you're setting yourself up for that depressive journey. The second way of imagining the future that'll bring on those symptoms is the inability to realistically evaluate possible future scenarios. Now, I know it's easier for us to evaluate a negative scenario in the future and get all on board with that and to imagine it than to imagine a positive future. It's just the way our brains are wired. We are much more robustly interested in potential threats than we are in potential rewards. That's just the way the human brain is wired. And so we have to teach ourselves the other way. So then here's the third way. And if we have a negative belief about the future at our core, that in every way, in every day, the future is going to be worse and worse and worse. And we thought that for a long time, that negative worldview in effect, that negative belief about the future, if we have that and that sets us up as our baseline, it's very likely that we're going to be setting ourselves to live on that right at the edge of, of a depressive state for a long time to come. All right, so if you change how you see the future instead to imagining the future with positive attributes to it. So if we imagine the future with abundance 
rather than scarcity, then we will not set ourselves up for that depressive cascade that happens in us. Think about it. And it's actually a choice. So change how you see the future. Work hard at imagining the future as one in which you can actually have influence, you can actually grow, and the future is going to be better. Of course it's going to take work, but the future is one of abundance rather than scarcity. It's a positive future. Change how you see the future. Well, first of all, you got to notice how you see the future. Are you a person who always thinks that the future is going to be negative unless we have some magic that happens or unless through some combination of Herculean effort and luck, we make some better future? If that's how you think, you're probably setting yourself up for that baseline of a depressive symptoms as a leader. So yeah, probably don't talk with people much about this, but you, you should. All right, that's the first one. Change how you see the future. Is the future going to be probably better if we if we work at it or no matter how hard we work at it it's not going to be better all right have fun with that one uh, here's the second tactic that you can employ increase your face-to-face interaction wow i know that's difficult for some of you and i know it's been difficult for a lot of us in the last little bit of time where we have been encouraged to go hide in a corner and cover ourselves with bubble wrap but if you increase your face-to-face interaction you will not fall prey to those early symptoms that i talked about a guy by the name of dr alan teo studied 11,000. i don't know how you can study that many people but 11,000 adults and people who had few social interactions, a very few social interact per month, reported twice as much early depressive symptoms as those who had face-to-face social interactions three times a week or more. And social, I mean, it's just people to people. It could be about work or not work. doesn't matter what it's about. All right. So if you do not have very many face-to-face interactions that are meaningful, that pause, that where there's an actual connection that takes place, you're setting yourself up. Here's the third one. Identify yourself as a member of a group. So understand that if you are, however, a part of a group and you identify yourself as a member of a group, that's a real group, you will ward off these feelings of loneliness that can come as a result of being a leader. Here's the fourth strategy. Ah, all right, this is going to be a hard one. Give up social frickin' media (laughs) for at least seven days or more. And then after you've done that, notice the difference in your affect. Notice the difference in your energy level. Specifically, give up Instagram and in your Facebook. Those are the two. Now, if you are a TikTok addict, you probably want to give that up too for seven days and notice what happens. Well, I might miss out on things. No, you won't. Because if you're part of a group and you've increased your face-to-face interaction and there's something important going on, someone's going to tell you, did you know it's so-and-so's birthday? coming up and there's a party in a week. Oh, okay. They'll tell you if you're part of a group and you've increased your face-to-face interaction. We don't need social media if we are social as people. Now, I'm not saying stay away from it completely, but if you're the kind of person who gets sucked into it and you find yourself spending 45 minutes on it or an hour or two hours on it every single day and you can't really pull away from it, ask yourself, how do I feel after I'm done with it? You'll feel somewhere between depressed and (laughs) numb. Um, right? Social media is linked to all sorts of increases in depressive symptoms. There's study after study after study after study about that. Sears, for example, S-E-E-R-S, studied 300 people. And the more time that they spent on social media, the more pronounced their depressive symptoms were. Mostly because 
social media causes comparison. And you know, comparison is like a cancer to the soul. There's two types of comparison. When we see something, we will naturally, the human brain naturally compares everything. The grass is longer today than it was yesterday, and the, the temperature is higher today than it was yesterday. And we like to compare things constantly, but when we compare ourselves to other people, we are in danger of setting ourselves up for this depressive spiral that can happen in the background, and we can reset kind of our baseline as leaders of people. So the more time people spend on social media, the greater their depressive symptoms were. And there was they, they compared themselves upward. That is, they compared themselves to people who appear to be better better off to something, better at something than they see themselves to be. And then there was also a downward comparison. They compare themselves to that person who seems to be worse off. Well, at least I'm not like Biff Bifferson over there. Wow. Neither of those two types of comparisons actually set us free and empower and encourage us. All right. So that's the fourth one. Give up social media for a week as a science experiment and see what happens. The fifth one is eat something that approximates a Mediterranean diet. There's a guy by the name of Dr. Sanchez Vallejas who studied 15,000 people followed them for 10 years. Who has the patience to do that? Wow. But he did that, followed them for 10 years. And he found that those who ate something that approximates the Mediterranean diet, that's a diet high in vegetables and fruits and nuts and beans and cereals and grains and fish and unsaturated fats like olive oil, etc. And a fairly low intake of dairy and red meat products, that sort of thing. That's roughly a Mediterranean diet. But those who followed something close to that diet reported of the 15,000 people, no depressive symptoms. None. Now there's other factors, but this is the largest factor in his findings. Isn't that interesting? Change what you eat and you'll change what eats you. Did I just say that? I did, didn't I? Change what you eat and you'll change what eats you. Hmm. Here's the sixth and the last one. Change your questions from convergent questions to divergent questions. To converge, as you know, means to come together and to narrow and narrow and narrow. To diverge means to get broader and broader and broader in this context. Here's the example. You fail at something. If you have a convergent mindset, I failed. Where else have I failed? Narrow, narrow, narrow on the fact that I'm such a failure. Divergent, I failed. Well, where have I not failed in a similar situation? See the difference between those two? Change your questions from convergent to divergent questions. This will have a profound effect on your ability to actually change what you perceive as your level of control and your level of influence and therefore your level of responsibility. All right, those are the six things that you can do and they're all fairly simple. To review, remember, change how you see the future. And number two, increase your face-to-face -face interaction. The third one is identify as a member of a group. Be a part of a group. The fourth, give up social media for a week, see what happens. The fifth, eat something like a Mediterranean diet all the time. Don't, don't get too far away from it. And the sixth, change your questions from convergent to divergent questions. Seems like I should pause right here and take another sip of this Larceny Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's see. Is it still as good as it was a few minutes ago? Oh, of course it is. It's amazing. It's so good. And I'm going to relight with my torch right here. I'm going to relight this Winston Churchill's favorite cigar, the Romeo and Julieta 1875. Mm, I'm going to enjoy that while we continue this conversation mm -mm, for just a couple of minutes. So if you found yourself under those symptoms I mentioned earlier and you find that they're just starting to creep in, now if you've gone into full-blown clinical depression, you're probably going to need to reach out to somebody who's a pro who can help you face-to-face -face and get some help in that regard. Don't just live with it because 
because the longer you live with it, the more you're going to reset your neurology to a baseline. And the more you'll reset your habits and your disciplines to live within that depressive state. And the more you'll reset your relationships and your finances. All of that stuff will reset to that depressive state. So if you've noticed this is you and it's gone on for a little while and the things that I suggest are not going to cause it to abate, reach out and get somebody to talk to about it because they can really, really be helpful with you. So don't let it go on very long. The people you lead deserve to have all of you, not 30% of you. And you deserve to live a life where you enjoy breathing and you enjoy great air. And it's funny, I said that as I'm looking through clouds of smoke, even at this microphone and at the screen in front of me. (laughs) Enjoy breathing clean air or cigar air. That works too. So, all right, try this stuff today. Don't wait around. Don't think, I'll get at that later. Try this stuff today. And, and, And what can you do with all of this stuff? Well, check yourself. Check yourself before you wreck yourself, okay? (laughs) Check those depressive symptoms and ask yourself, are some of those actually me? And I have just avoided calling it what it actually is in hopes that it will go away. If I look away and ignore it, it'll just go away, but it doesn't. Check yourself. check yourself. Remember those the symptoms that I mentioned? We'll close with them again. So I'll, I'll refresh your, your memory coming up in here in a little bit. If, if some of those are you or all of those are your experience and they're just slowly bubbling in the background of your life and they have been, you can't remember when they weren't even, then it's time to understand what's actually going on right here. All right, here's the second thing that you could do today. Identify any maladaptive behaviors that you've actually got. What you're going to want to do is replace that with an adaptive coping mechanism. Because you're not just going to stop that, whatever that thing is that you're doing that makes you feel good for a moment, but worse later. It actually makes it harder for you to adapt and overcome. But in the moment, it feels like it's working. That's how we define a maladaptive coping mechanism. You're not just going to stop it cold turkey. You're going to replace it with something that works better, that's also better for you. And that's not hard to figure out. I don't need to go on and on about what some of those things actually are. All right. So what are you going to try today? If I've been talking to you, you're going to check yourself before you wreck yourself. You're going to identify and stop by replacing some maladaptive coping mechanisms that you've got. And of all the things I've talked about here today, do the easy stuff first. Anything I've mentioned to you out of those six ways of dealing with early onset of this kind of leadership depression that I've talked about, pick one that's easy and do it first. Whatever that is, if it's social media, do that first. If it's increased face-to-face genuine interaction, do that first. Just do the easy stuff first. Here's another thing you can do today. Anytime you can be outside, go outside. You may live in a city. You may work on the eighth floor. You may find yourself stuck inside of buildings all day long. Any moment that you can find yourself to be outside, out on a deck that's outside of your building, or maybe you're on the sixth floor or the eighth floor, I don't care. If there's a way to get outside, get outside. Uh, Park further away, walk further. Get outside, get outside, get outside. That is very simple and extremely effective. And what can you do today? Get realistic. Get real, get curious. Has he been talking about me? And if if you think, no, none of that really is me. My humor is still really, really good. My brain's not foggy. My joy is up. Awesome. That's wonderful. It's possible that there's somebody in your life who is a co-leader with you, somebody you care a lot about, who could really benefit from listening to this with you or listening to this alone. So hand it off to them. But if this is you, give it a little bit of time. Do the small and easy things first and give it a couple weeks before you notice, before you say, ah, it worked or it didn't work. All right. Give it a little bit of time. 
All right, so let's let's wrap up this conversation. According to my timer on this recording, I've now been yammering for about 45 minutes. It will not be that long. Thank God when you get this, <laughs> this podcast, it'll be cut down significantly. But I've been sitting here enjoying this cigar and this larceny and yammering for 45 or 46 minutes now. But before we run out of time, let's get right down to this. Let me review to you what are those symptoms in leaders that we have surveyed who have said to us, I don't have time to get depressed. And we say, well, have you experienced any of these symptoms? And many of them, half of them have said in the last year, I've experienced almost all of those symptoms. Here they are again. We'll go through them quickly. Sadness has become my baseline. My anger and my irritation is up and my enjoyment is down. My sleep habits have changed, yet I don't feel refreshed. My brain is foggy. My appetite has changed, and I usually crave a lot of carbs, and it's possible that my weight has changed as well. My energy level is down, but I find myself nervous and twitchy all the time. My humor baseline has changed. Maybe my humor has gone away, or it's become more acerbic. And I see the future as all dark and bad, instead of seeing the future as something that we get to build together. Those are some of the symptoms that you and I experience when we go into that state. I don't want you to be in that state. And if I was here with you, I would walk you through some of this stuff and tell you some stories about how I and other leaders that I love dearly have managed this. And so we do not allow ourselves to go into that ditch of depression as a leader. And it's not quite the same for leaders as it is for other people. So I care a lot and I want you to be able to grab this life ring if you see that you're starting to take on water in the vessel of your life. You're doing really important work. That's why I take this time on a Saturday afternoon to share some of our research, some of our findings in a portable way. Hopefully it'll be helpful to you and to the friends that you have because you are doing really good work. And so did the people at Heaven Hill. Man, they did good work when they made this larceny bourbon. It's actually quite good. Now it's, it's melted. The ice cube is melted about a third of the way down. That's still good, but it, it's better without the ice cube having melted. I could have gotten at that a little bit earlier, but then, uh, you know, I like taking lots of time to enjoy my bourbon. And I would be enjoying it with you if you were sitting right here. I hope you are doing well. If you got questions about this, you want to follow up a little bit. If you have a great story you can tell about how you've managed this. If you found yourself as one of the 50% of the leaders that we've interviewed, and that reported that, yeah, they've been here in the last year. Um, drop me an email. I'd like to know what you did and how you handled it. Or drop me an email and say, I have a friend. <laughs> yeah, if you want to talk that way too. You know what? You're doing good work. I appreciate you and I appreciate your work. I know many of you and I am honored to be able to call you a friend. Take care. I'm going to enjoy the rest of this cigar and see what this wonderful day holds. And I'm sure you've heard about it by now, but you may want to check out our YouTube channel that has this kind of information, lots of helpful tips for folks who are in leadership, management, supervisory positions, or if you're an influencer of people daring folks to do great things. Check us out on YouTube. It's the HILT, H-I-L-T, Academy, High Impact Leadership Training Academy on YouTube. Some great stuff. Join us over there. Subscribe when you get there. 